Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I don't think there's enough people in Ireland that could be completely wrong that are giving in their DNA in the first place for us to be able to start using it. I don't believe the legislation exists to allow our police run, you know, profiles through that, etc. But Canada must be watching the states, watching what's happening and must be moving in very much so on this form of investigation. I'm Nicola Talent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. One was a high-flying 22-year-old career girl whose father was a multi-millionaire, and the other a recently divorced mother of four who was a popular social worker with underprivileged youth. Erin Gilmore and Susan Tice suffered terrible deaths just months apart in the 1980s in the same Canadian neighbourhood. But for decades, nothing else connected their murders and no suspects were identified. But now, four decades on, the women have been intrinsically linked by one man, who police believe they've caught through the same DNA tests used to nab the Golden State Killer, former cop Joseph D'Angelo. Today, I'm talking to Toronto Sun journalist Brad Hunter about the incredible cold cases that Canada is beginning to solve, thanks to advances in DNA and the genealogical databases proving so popular with ordinary people wanting to find out about their origins. He tells me about the previously unknown Joseph George Sutherland, the 61-year-old with nothing but a few parking fines to his name, who will now stand trial of the murders of Tice and Gilmore about the man identified as the brutal killer of a seven-year-old girl and about the funding being pumped into solving cold cases using a very modern science. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So absolutely happy new year to you, 2023. We're going to do lots of chirping, as you call it, this year, (laughs) I hope, between Ireland and Canada because you have so many... uh, interesting crimes tales to tell us but this is something that we'll we'll know a little bit about here but not very much and it's about advances in DNA and the effects they're having on cold case crimes so murders that have lain unsolved gathering dust for decades really um and there's been exciting developments in Canada 
uh, following on, I think, from how when this emerged in the US with the case of Joseph D'Angelo. We'll come back to that. But first of all, your the most recent story you've been writing about is a guy called jo- Joseph Sutherland, a 61 year old who has lived essentially an ordinary life in Canada, but who was hiding a very secret and evil past. That's right. Uh, that's right, Nicola, is uh, that he had, um, he had, now he's, you know, accused and uh, the charges have not been proven in court. He, uh, he was uh, served with a DNA warrant, which is an unusual thing for a judge in Canada to do in November. Uh, I'll go first and then I'll, I'll jump to the first and then dial back. Mm. And uh, then in uh, early December, uh, Toronto police announced his uh, arrest on first degree murder charges in the 1983 murders of a, uh, of a um, working mom, a single working mom named Susan Tice and a career girl who came from wealthy parents named Aaron Gilmore. Now, those murders were in August and December of 1963, or 83, I'm sorry. And they occurred about four kilometers apart, not very far uh, apart. And, you know, they were fairly sensational murders. Now, cops always here always suspected that the two homicides were linked. But until 2010 or so, they they didn't they weren't able to link them by DNA. So here's where the great leap forward uh, uh, comes. Uh, you know, from you know, starting with uh, the the uh, arrest and conviction of uh, Joseph D'Angelo, aka the Golden State Killer, in California several years ago. Uh, Toronto police have been using. Uh, uh, genet- genetic genealogy, and uh, for for the lay listener, that's where they are taking DNA from crime scenes, and they're feeding it in to uh, your twenty three and Me and Ancestry dot com and the personal DNA sites. Now, what it does is it doesn't say, "Aha, Nicholas the killer." It doesn't do that. But what it does is it eliminates tens of millions of suspects. What we'll know is that somebody in the talent family is responsible. So they start working on the family unit and work down and work down. And and he had, uh, Sutherland had four brothers and they uh, eliminated the four brothers until that came up with him. And they arrested him in uh, early December, uh, you know, ending, you know, 40 years. And are they eliminating through the DNA? Are they eliminating through alibis, through possibly, I mean, I don't know, going back to 1983, can some of the brothers prove that they were out of the jurisdiction yeah, or something Yeah, the DNA. Like that? I mean, they had the family unit and they eliminated through the family unit. Now, the thing is, is that they lived... You know, it's a bit of geography. They lived, uh, the family was from a place called uh, Moosonee, which is like a thousand miles north, straight north of uh, Toronto on James Bay, which goes into Hudson's Bay, of course. Now, what I know, and, you know, I'm, you know, it's a good mate of mine, the, the detective who made the arrest in the case, 
uh, is that he told me that they never, ever would have got this guy because he was never on their radar. He wasn't in the ballpark at all because his DNA wasn't in the system. And if your DNA is not in the system already, then that makes, you know, these sorts of cases extremely difficult to solve. And that goes back to what I was mentioning to you in the beginning, that he he lived a pretty ordinary life, this Sutherland guy. He has no convictions. He hasn't come, you know, does he even have a, you know, road traffic or is he? Yeah, is he I, just think, I, think he may, I think they said he may have a, a couple traffic tickets or something minor in that nature, but but nothing, no big, uh, you know, screaming headlines that says I'm a killer. Uh, he... he uh, but I mean, you know, obviously once now that they've pinpointed him, uh, they're now, you know, going to go back across, you know, trace his steps backward across, uh, you know, the province of Ontario as to where he might have lived and whether there's any unsolves that may, you know, link to him or maybe you know, could, could potentially clear another person who may have been arrested and charged because that happens too. And obviously, um, having linked him through this DNA on these two cases, um, they do have to check, would he have been involved perhaps in anything else? Because they're two very unusual opportunistic crimes. The, the two victims are miles apart in in where they're at in life and what they're doing the way they're found dead and the kind of the the motiveless as such um killing of both of them might link them but apart from that um there's nothing that would would suggest you know one is linked to the other no no not at all i mean you know geography i guess a little but you know toronto's a big city so you know there's 4 million people here so i mean that means a lot of people are living around and whatnot. But no, there was nothing, there was nothing other than DNA to link them. It wasn't, you know, they had their, you know, their gut instincts that, yeah, that there was probably a link between them. But as I said, they never would have they never would have gotten the suspect if 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 not for for this genetic genealogy. So what happened to both these women? I think um Susan, the 45-year-old victim, was the first to be found dead in the August of 1983. The both, uh, Susan Tice had been, uh, had been uh, sexually assaulted and stabbed to death. And the, the circumstances were similar in the Aaron Gilmore case as well. Uh, the suspect was only, I think, 21 years old at the time. And was, I think, somewhat transient in nature. And at that time, you know, there wasn't quite the surveillance society you're seeing now. And and it would have been easy for him to fall into the woodwork of wherever he was headed. And um, Susan Tice, who had four children, was a social worker. I think she was 45 and had just moved into her home. Um, it means nothing to us here in, in Ireland, but uh, it's listed as Grace Street from Calgary. I don't know whether that was a distance or a big move for her or not. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's moving across the country. That's like you moving to uh, to uh, the Adriatic coast. So, so okay, that's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a fair. So it's a fairly big move, and she'd moved into downtown uh, Toronto, and she was in the 
she was a social worker and she often worked with, with troubled, uh, with troubled youth. Ironically. Now I see there's been nothing to indicate that she came across Mr. Sutherland in her travels. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they seem like both, you know, murders of opportunity rather than of. Yeah. So she was new to the area and when her brother couldn't reach her, he contacted the police. So, I presume we don't know too much about her case from 1983. The, 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 the intricate details will no doubt come out in the trial about what she was doing at the time or whether this was believed to be a break in in her home or what, you know, was there anything stolen? I think, I think uh, Nicola, I think uh, his M.O. was uh, essentially uh, that, that he would, you know, see a woman you know, on their doorstep, letting themselves in and then rushing them and, and, mm. and you know, making sure the coast was clear. And I, I believe that's uh, what he did in the uh, the matter of Aaron Gilmore as well. Who was only 22. That's correct. That's correct. And, and she was sort of more, uh, I presume her murder at the time was a little bit more high profile only because she was the daughter of a mining tycoon called David Gilmore. She was a kind of a rich, she was probably a bit of a socialite. Yes, she was a bit of a socialite. She lived in an extremely posh area, an extremely posh apartment. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, blue skies and, uh, you know, paths of gold ahead for her in, yeah. her in her life she had you know she was you know she was beloved and everything like that but she was you know she was interested in fashion and interior design and those sorts of things and she was you know for all intents and purposes a socialite and so i mean the two victims are fairly disparate you know although they're both female and live you know only four miles apart you know they're, they're still very in very different spots in their lives and circumstances and Brad, obviously, the families of both these women have, you know, not a day has gone by, I'm sure, when they don't remember them. But, you know, 1983 is a long time away. And for the likes of keeping a story alive in the media and keeping appeals going out there, it's a difficult challenge for families to keep kind of interest in cases the older and older they get. And they do essentially become cold cases. So it's really this DNA sensation that has brought them back into the into the news no no it, it has but to, to be fair to the cops in this instance they they every few years provide an update uh something of this or just even a call out if you have any information you know uh reach in but but yeah and i mean i i uh it's an interest you know it's a, a side note on these sorts of things about the family for interest and whatnot is uh a number of a uh, number of years ago, I um, uh, a uh, child molester, Canadian child molester, died in an American prison. Now he'd been sentenced to hang in Canada in 1962 for the rape and murder of two toddlers, two little boys, uh, and for some stupid reason, as uh, you know, the the system let him out after 11 years. But he finally dies. He, he gets across the border and he gets picked up in Tennessee and he, uh, you know, commits more crimes down there and he gets thrown away for life. But I reached out to the mother of one of the little boys who had been murdered in 1962. And, you know, God love her. She couldn't 
she could barely get out the words. And she'd said that she would talk to me, but when it came time, she couldn't do it. And that was, you know, 50, almost 60 years 60 after years the later. Mm. And still utterly devastated. Yeah, never, ever leaves them. So in a way, this, um, you know, DNA has been emerging and has been, you know, becoming more and more prevalent in cases when, when murders are solved in recent times. This is a godsend to families and probably gives hope to a lot of um, people living with these sort of cold case situations uh, with their loved ones. But Canada seems to be really, I mean, you mentioned there at the beginning that uh, Joseph Sutherland was hit with a DNA warrant. Is this something new that has been brought in because of these developments in DNA? I think, I think uh, what it is, I mean, I think in, in this instance, the judge who issued the warrant had caught up to the 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 technology and had, had gotten his mind around it whereas the the police were able to show the the judge that this very well likely is the killer and right. uh, and, and they they'd actually tried to surreptitiously get his DNA, but he, he lived in a town of about 1200 people so i mean <laughs> they were pretty obvious you know so you know, there was no, not going to be escaping that. You see, with those, um, you know, genealogy um, files essentially now that exist in America, people have voluntarily given in their DNA for testing to see who they're related to, et cetera, et cetera. And law enforcement are now able to use them themselves. And this all does go back to the, the Golden State Killer and that sensational case. Um, you know, that has made not only headlines, but, you know, is the stuff of documentaries, etc. Um, but Canada must be the next big place to be ready for this because we don't have that kind of ability for we I don't think there's enough people in Ireland that could be completely wrong that are giving in their DNA in the first place for us to be able to start using it. I don't believe the legislation exists to allow our police um, run, you know, profiles through that, etc. But Canada must be watching the states, watching what's happening, and must be moving in very much so on this form of investigation. Well, they are just, you know, absolutely. And uh, recently, uh, the uh, Ministry of the Ontario, the Ontario Ministry of the Attorney General, uh, released funds. Now, the, this these sorts of investigations are expensive. Uh, but, you know, they've uh, released funds for 30 cases for 15 homicides, you know, half of them in Toronto and the rest across the province and uh, a number of unidentified human remains and a number of, you know, unsolved sex assault cases. And they're all being put in and uh, and th- they're, they did 30 last year and they're doing 30 uh, this year as well. I mean, it still requires some police work once once they get their hit of, of who mm. might be who. But, you know, it may it may be a while before it uh, it comes to uh, Ireland. I mean, you know, one of, you know, my, you know, main guys that I speak to on the police force. He's head of the cold case unit in Toronto, uh, Steve Smith. Uh, he's like massive on it, just massive. And, and, you know, this is the second case in Toronto that they've cleared up using or the Toronto area using this, this sort of uh, technology. And the first one, of course, was C- Christina Jessup, 
um, a child that was murdered again back in 1984. So what happened in, in her case? In her case, that was, uh, that was a horror show. And it came at a time making it, uh, you know, a horrific situation, even more horrifying, where there was a spate of, uh, of, of murders of kids in the Toronto area, uh, violent sexual murders of children in the Toronto area. Uh, she, uh, she was murdered in 1984 and there was of course a sexual component. Um, but what happened was, is that the original police force, the either York or Durham, which is suburban suburbs surrounding Toronto, uh, kind of dropped the ball. They arrested, charged and convicted an oddball named Guy Paul Moran, who as you know, as it turned out, was just an oddball and one of those horrific sort of situations where somebody who's a little bit different might be um, highlighted as a possible for possible involvement in the heinous crime. Now, he was exonerated, released from prison after a number of years, and a judge handed. Uh, the case took it from the suburbs and handed it to uh, to uh, Toronto Homicide Unit, which is probably one of the best homicide units in North America. They're they're you know they have a you know and, and at least in North America, anyways, they have an you know eighty five percent clearance rate, which is you know unheard of. Um, I mean, sh- for comparison, Chicago's clearance rate is twenty five percent, but. So they they got the uh, they went and did put the DNA in through this this system. I can't remember the company that does it, but it links up to the genetic uh, DNA sites, you know, ancestry.com or whatever, and they got a hit. And it turned out that the killer was a guy they'd talked to on day one, and he was uh, a neighbor. Of, uh, of Christine Jepsen, a man named Calvin Hoover. Uh, he was never, unfortunately, brought to justice. He uh, blew his brains out in 2015, uh, but, you know, long before this came up. But these are two long, unsolved, you know, horrific, tormenting cold cases that have been cleared, or three, I guess. For sure. And and what age was Christina Jessup? She was only seven or... Nine years old. Nine and had she been sexually assaulted, Brad? Yeah, she had. And again, is that DNA? And you talk about that there's funding given for 30 cases this year and onwards to be put through these systems to see if they can be matched to families um, from the genealogical databases. But are most of them sexual assaults? Is there is there strong DNA held? I mean, I that? mean, some are the unidentified human remains, which you yeah. know, and they, they they kind of at least in you know in Toronto that falls under the auspices of the cold case unit, along with uh, with missing persons, uh, you know, kind of quite naturally. So he, uh, so yeah, there. But I mean, two gangsters shooting at each other in uh, in a parking lot. I mean, this isn't this isn't going to get you any results. Uh, mm. This this technology, but for crimes with a sexual component, uh, up close, sort of you know things like a stabbing or a strangulation or something like that, that this this will 
will point you theoretically uh, in the direction of where you need to go. When there's that kind of DNA profile they talk about that is strong enough that it's lasted through the decades, that obviously there was enough of it sampled at the time or something. You know, sometimes they talk about these DNA profiles that have kind of broken down over the years and they're kind of worthless. But but that's but that's changing too. A lot of DNA, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of that. Um, a lot of the DNA in these sorts of cases where in 2009, it's we can't do anything with it. But the technology has advanced so much that now that, you know, they, they're recovering DNA, usable DNA from things that they couldn't use before. I mean, they had, uh, you know, just to, to not to get too far off track, but, you know, the uh, homicide cops in Philly uh, just uh, closed the uh, 1957-year-old murder of you know, what was famously you know, one of the most famous unsolved murders in America, was, which was the boy in the box. And that using the same method with the genetic genealogy, that's how they identified him. And, you know, they've, they've, they've been pretty tight. I mean, it's 1957. They're pretty tight-lipped mm. on who the killer is, but... You know, you don't have any doubt that they they have an idea of who it is, and uh, but that that had uh, you know he was America's uh, unknown child. He you know that's that's like you know sixty sixty five years, and they finally put a name to that little boy. So you know, it's incredible. Uh, and are these cases like is the the Sutherland case, and and obviously. Unfortunately, Calvin Hoover was dead before he was ever be able to be brought to justice. But are they generating massive publicity and interest in Canada? Yeah, they are. They're 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 big headlines here because you know people do remember. You know, some. I mean, the what the the cases that they're putting forward and putting through the system are homicides that people remember. Uh, that, you know, resonate with the public. You know, I mean, the, the, particularly the Christine uh, Jessup murder, that, you know, that was extraordinarily big news. And and it was big news at the time. And it's, you know, it was sort of a, you know, are our children safe sort of moment for, uh, for a city that, had, you know, effectively been a very safe place for generations, you know. The odd, the odd rub out, mob rub out notwithstanding. It's it's uh, interesting to see the police, the kind of modern police, you know, when they're obviously delighted to have these massive developments on these 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 kind of cold cases that have been shelved for so long almost. You know, they're recognising the policing that their predecessors did who didn't have the ability to, to help, of the help of science. Do you think it is going to completely change policing this this um, new facility? And it's obviously going to get more and more important, isn't it? Science well, and DNA. Yeah, it, it will play. It'll play a bigger and bigger role as you know as as things move forward. I'm not sure as yet what kind of role this sort of thing may have played in the University of Idaho murders. But, you know, it certainly it stands to reason that if it didn't, it could very well have. Uh, I think it is a big game changer for certain for certain kinds of murders. It's not going to 
bring any arrests. And as I said, gangbangers shooting each other at three o'clock in the morning over a dime bag. That's yeah, that's not going to happen. But these visceral, horrific sexual murders and murders involving children and innocent people and things like that, that's where you're going to see you know, cases cleared. And, and, and you are very right about, you know, a lot of these older cases that didn't, where cops didn't have the technology is that, you know, they did everything right. Generally at the, at the, at the time, everything, you know, within their power. I mean, you know, there was, you know, a number of cases of those child murders where a couple of the detectives committed suicide because they, they couldn't live with themselves. So, you know, um, yeah, they did everything they could in most of these instances. But uh, yeah, it just seems as if the tide has slightly changed. The likes of Sutherland, who is yet to be tried, he, um, you know, has not been found guilty yet. But nonetheless, he has been scientifically linked to these two murders. The likes of of Hoover, they seem to have uh, luck and science on their side for a long time. But now that thing has totally shifted and no doubt there are many people out there who have got away with murder for decades and have lived, you know, happily and secretively amongst their families or neighbours uh, who hadn't a clue what they've done. I'm sure they're quite worried at the moment when they see more and more of these cases being solved. Well, uh, yeah, abso- absolutely. And that actually came out as well, is, is that, you know, that they're knocking on the door now on a lot of these on a lot of these cases. They they you know, they were never forgotten, but, you know, what do you do with them? You know, you can have somebody once a year take a, put fresh eyes on it, but, you know, if it's not there, it's not there. This is putting it there, and I, I have no doubt that a lot of people are losing uh, sleep over this sort of thing. And, and, you know, I mean, look how we've come along with CCTV that can zero in to say, yeah, that's Brad Hunter, that's who that is. And, and you know, th- there's... It's, it's not, I mean, it's, there's a, as many serial killers, uh, uh, criminologists I know said that there's as many serial killers as they ever were, as there ever were, but they're not killing as much because of all these things, whether it's CT, you know, CCTV, you know, tracing cell phones and different things like that, and DNA, of course, uh, that they're not killing the amount they did before. There are no more Dahmers and Gacy's uh, in the hopper. And that at least is a mercy. Brad Hunter, thank you very much. Thanks, Nicola. Great talking to you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.